Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all of the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. All right, how are we doing this morning? It's good to see you. Man, boy, I, I, like, I, I'm already like emotional. That last song just lit me up. I, I hope it did you. God is good, right? And uh, it, what, a, what a blessing. Appreciate that worship, worship team. And uh, man, I love our green shirts here. Uh, our, our kids who, by the way, if you don't know who that is, that's our kids who work, uh, our people who work with our kids. And our Genesis kids held an event yesterday and it blew up. We had well over 50 families, over 100 kids that showed up and they did a fantastic job. And so if you were part of that yesterday, let me applaud you for loving and reaching out to our neighbors and and, and getting the word out, and what, what a great event. And if you're here today, you were there yesterday, we're thankful you're hanging out. If th- today's your first time with us, greetings. My name's Mike. I'm one of the elders, and um, I get the honor of standing up here most weeks and sharing with the congregation from the scriptures. Um, and so uh, I'm excited to do that this morning. Uh, hey, it's Palm Sunday, which means it's Easter week, right? And uh, next Sunday's our, our, our highest, most exciting day. I just want to encourage you to be here. We'll come back to this later in service, encourage you to invite friends, and encourage you to get here on time next week. That would be a nice change for some of us, right? And uh, here, here's a little incentive. Show up on time, bring your friends, we will have Krispy Kreme donuts for you. That's a good thing, right? All right, so uh, a, a great week. Uh, my, I took my girls to go see a movie this week, and it was a Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie. And... Uh, you kind of go to a movie wondering what it's going to be about, but to be honest, with those two actors, you don't have to wonder. Uh, Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock are who they are. Like every movie they make, you don't have to wonder, is it going to be like this or is it going to be like this? They pretty much were the characters you get used to when you go see these actors in a movie. And I got to thinking this week about the fact that, you know, there's a lot of actors and actresses who kind of get typecast. For example, um, if you see Clint Eastwood is in a movie, you do not have to wonder, is this movie going to break into a musical? <laughs> right? You, you, you don't have to be curious if um, he's going to be the soft, sensitive guy. Uh, or if Liam Neeson is in a movie, you kind of know that revenge is the central, central theme, right? Uh, and you don't have to wonder, is he going to be, like, is this going to turn into a romantic comedy? Not going to happen, right? Or, or um, if you have uh, uh, Will Ferrell in the movie, you know that the movie is going to somehow have the overgrown man baby. 
probably going to pray to a six-pound, six eight-ounce baby Jesus and make a fool of himself. Uh, you you, you kind of know when you see Will Ferrell that is going to be in a movie that it's probably not going to be Shakespeare. Uh, and if you see Hugh Grant, you know it's going to be a sappy romantic comedy with a British accent. That, that, that's what's going to happen there. And, of course, if you get Tom Cruise... We know that a lot of stuff is going to blow up. He's going to be hanging from a building, and he's going to spend half the movie running like this, right? That, that, that's what we're going to have with Tom Cruise. Typecasting. Well, here's the deal. Sometimes you and I, if, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, we are starting to feel the pressure that we're being typecast. We're being typecast in the world, that, that we're being told that if you're a Christian, here's what that means. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you're closed-minded, bigoted, misogynistic, narrow, uh, your way or the highway, politically active and politically motivated, trying to push your politics on everybody type of person. And I think that has made it more difficult for us to feel like we have something to offer to the culture because we know that when we walk in and we even raise the idea of Jesus, we talk about who he is or we talk about being in a church, we feel like people are already looking at us going, we're being typecast, right? Like, like if we mention Jesus, your neighbors, your friends are going to go, I know exactly who you are. Uh, you may be here this morning and you may be a skeptic and think, I know where I'm at. I, I'm in a room full of those sort of people, right? And it, it, it starts weighing heavy on us because it makes it very difficult for us to figure out how to have a conversation about faith. And so we pull back and we're afraid to let people know who we are, what we stand for, uh, and, and that we love Jesus with all of our heart in a culture that already has decided that if I even bring that up, who I am. Add to that, couple with that, the fact that there are so many situations where we look at the world around us or we look at the lives of individuals in the world and we feel the weight of what is happening in their lives and often feel helpless and overwhelmed. Like we, we come here on Sunday morning and we sing songs like that, but we look at the suffering and the brokenness in the world and while I can be emotional here, I feel impotent and unable to actually remedy anything in the world. This text is helpful for us because it helps us actually deal with what it is we actually have to offer. Even this week, as we think about Easter week, I felt that sense of overwhelming, like the darkness when I went on a prayer walk a couple weeks ago in a neighborhood in North St. Louis City. Just see all the boarded up houses and the brokenness, just the brokenness in the community. Feeling the weight of churches that are closing, that have struggled and fallen apart since COVID. Struggling to see just the fact that, that drug use in that neighborhood is visible. And the smell of marijuana lingers in the streets. But I, I look at that and, and, and I feel like, what do we have for this, right? But part of the reason I feel that way is because I have fooled myself into thinking that here in Eureka, it's not as bad. But the brokenness that is in our culture just shows up in different ways. There is a darkness that hovers over our city, a lack of hope that, that is showing up in the way we try to find our own identity and define ourselves and those sorts of things. 
And, and it's hard to know how to answer and how to interact, interact and engage with that because we step into this and we feel like we're being typecast and we feel like, man, does, does what I learned about and what I heard at church on Sunday really have any bearing in this situation, any impact? And we would love to be like Peter and John in this where we could walk into somebody and just grab by the wrist and go, get up and walk. But I haven't had that experience. And so, so what do we do with that? Well, this this section of Acts, this story, is on one level a one-time event where somebody is healed. But in the midst of the story, there's a reminder that Peter and John had something to offer this man. And as we'll see next week as we celebrate Easter, to the whole crowd. And what they have at the core to offer, we still have this to offer. And when we offer this, it is the most important single thing in the universe. And we have something to offer every broken person, every struggling person. It is the offer to you, it is the offer to all of us, but it's also the offer we go with when we leave here. This is what happens in the text. So what's happened in Acts, we've been doing this series, we're calling it To Be Continued, and trying to tell you that there's a flowing narrative. Every Sunday we pull a section out and we proclaim Christ from the narrative to you, but it's a flowing narrative. And previously in Acts, uh, we had this glimpse, in Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2, we have this snapshot where there is kind of a, a broad brush statement of what is going on in the early church. This this gathering of people, this group of people that have been rescued, redeemed by Jesus. Right now it's in Jerusalem, so we only have Jewish people following Christ so far. It's not where it's going to end, but right now in the story, that's all it is. But in this early church in Jerusalem, there are over 3,000 people who believed in Jesus, and they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread, to, to celebrating and, and observing the sacraments, uh, to fellowship, to being tightly knit in deep relationship with one another. Uh, we, we saw in the text, and this, the, our story this morning picks up on this, that there were signs and wonders being done by the apostles, and that those signs and wonders were leading to awe in the city, but so were the benevolent lives of the people. The apostles are doing signs and wonders, but everybody who is part of this community of faith is having their lives transformed by the gospel, so they live with more generosity, more love for each other, more love for their neighbors. They are different people because they have a different king. And, and what happens as a result, we're told at the end, is that they, they have favor in the city, and the Lord is adding to their number day by day, those who are being saved. In other words, what, what we're saying is a regular rhythm of people coming to faith in Jesus, being baptized, and now joining this community of faith, and this community of faith is growing rapidly. And in, in the midst of this, we have this story that is set in where two of the apostles, two of Jesus' closest friends in the world, walk into Jerusalem, they come into the temple, and they encounter somebody at the temple. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and find it again. Make sure you're in Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking intently at some of the things that happen here in verses 1 to 10. And, and we're going to look very clearly at how this story still reminds us that what we have to offer to the world is what the world absolutely needs tomorrow and this week. Okay? And so... Let, let's check out this story. It's, it's an awesome story. Uh, verse 1 tells us that they, Peter and John went to the temple, and it was the hour of prayer. In other words, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There were two moments every day where uh, prayer is central 
as a series of sacrifices in the temple are being made. And at this point in time in the story, what we have is the fact that the apostles and the early Christian believers had not separated their faith from Judaism. They are Jewish people who were continuing to participate in Jewish religious life. We found out last week that they are gathering at the temple, but while they are there, the apostles are preaching and teaching in the middle of this public place. But they have not separated, and they see not the end of their Jewish faith, but Jesus as the completion of their Jewish faith. That they are seeing the whole Old Testament story culminating in this one person, Jesus, who is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king, who fulfills the sacrifices, who is the the whole sum and total in his coming of all that the Old Testament had hoped for. And so they're going to the temple. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. It's an hour of prayer, which means this is also the busiest time all day for the temple. And as they're walking through the temple, look here at verse two. It says, uh, in verse two, it says, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. So they're walking through the temple and there's this man who is sitting next to this gate that's called the beautiful gate. Now, there's a little disagreement about what the gate is, but no matter what it is, this is one of the gates that leads from what is called the temple of the Gentiles into the court of women. Now, we can get into a long discussion about what's going on here. Actually, a lot of this stuff was not prescribed by God but was added by people afterwards. But there was a, a gate where, where people could go into, and, and passing that point, you had to be Jewish, circumcised, part of the Jewish community to go past a certain point. And so therefore, it is a gate where everybody who is Jewish goes, and everybody who isn't gets up to that point and looks in. And it's here at this very busy place that we were told this man who was lame from birth, if you read all the way to the end of chapter four, he's over 40 years old, and we're told there is a rhythm of, of the fact that he can't walk. He, like th- this word lame means can't walk, okay? And that people are literally picking him up. It's kind of a picture back to the healing of Jesus where he's kind of placed on a mat, and people bring him and set him at this place and they feel sorry for him. But uh, he, he is now there functioning as a beggar asking for alms, asking for the giving of, uh, of money to the poor. And, and he's doing this day after day after day. Now, check this out. We just told you that, that, that this is Palm Sunday week. And if you've been here for a while, you realize that this whole story that we have in Acts is less than two to three months now from the day that Jesus died and rose again. He came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. He goes into the temple multiple times. Through his life, Jesus and his disciples are at the temple over and over and over again. Check this out. This is a man that for some reason in God's purpose and timing and glory, Jesus passed maybe hundreds of times. And not once did Jesus look at him and go, get up. Because at that moment, Jesus' presence, who could have healed him definitely, his purpose was to leave this man for this moment. But, but he is helpless, and he is begging, and we've all passed these people somewhere. You know, I went to the Cardinal game this week. You see them on the streets in downtown St. Louis, 
People who are just sitting by the side of the street, who are hanging out there, who are just, they, they, they don't ever look up. They just have their sign around their chest. They're sitting in a pile of, of their stuff with a box in front of them uh, and, and asking, they will tell you, I'm a Vietnam veteran, or I'm a war veteran, or I'm a mother who, you know, uh, you know and some of them get even created and said, hey, I'm not even going to lie to you. Just give me some money so I can go buy more marijuana. Like, I've seen that sign downtown. Uh, but, but whatever it is, they're sitting there, and how do you engage them? Think about this. How do you engage that person? Some of us just forgot a way to walk around them and not look at them at all. Like, you know they're there, and you're, like, you create this blinder, right? Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Or, or they come up, they're like standing on the side of the road at an interstate exit, and you know they're there, but you're like, look straight ahead, do not move, do not, you know? And, and I'm not even going to acknowledge their presence Others, you might feel compelled to take a couple bucks out or throw some coin in. Uh, there's different ways of dealing with this, but do you ever pause and actually look at them? What goes on in this story is that, that this guy is repeated in our lives over and over and over again as we live our lives in the world. People who are broken, who are hurting, who have nothing, who are, who are asking for help. And, and Peter and John engage him and there is this crazy moment where he is just looking at them, and, and what it means is he's just kind of looking at They're just two more passers-by who he could get something out of them, and he, he can make a buck to make, make sure he has enough uh, food to put on his table to take care of himself. He can't have a job. And so he looks at them, and, and, and it's just a pathetic moment until Peter and John show up, and, and, and he looks at them, and he, it, it tells us, and we'll come back to this in a minute, that Peter and John gazed on him. They actually engaged him in, in like a direct look into his eyes. He now in shame probably drops his eyes, and he, he, they look at him, and, and their response is, listen, we don't have any money. We don't have any money. Well, here at this point, this guy is going, then why'd you stop and look? Why are you paying? Like, just move on. There's other people who are going to throw a few bucks in. Don't stop here if you're just going to, you know, tell me, I don't have any money. Too bad. Just keep moving. But, but they say, look at us. Look at us. And then he says, silver and gold, we have none. But what I do have. Oh, what I do have. What we have in this moment is a man who Jesus had passed multiple times is left here. And now Peter and John look at him and say, we don't have anything in our pockets that can help you. We have something better. We have something greater. We just saying this. We have something that, that is more meaningful to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Do, do you hear this moment of, now, what's this guy going to do? But Peter and John, he's got them looking at them. He says, look, get your gaze off yourself. Get your gaze on us. He, they then reach down, grab him by the arms, and they don't give him the option of having faith or not. Brother, you're going to believe. We're going to do this. They yank him up, and next thing you know, he's like standing. And I love Luke. Luke is a physician. The guy who wrote Acts is a doctor. He helps us see, man, this guy's feet and ankles had issues. And all of a sudden, broken feet and crooked ankles and, and like bad ankles that couldn't stand get strong. Bad feet that maybe were dwarfed and pulled up into themselves flatten out. And this guy starts walking. He then is jumping and leaping. Like he's going, woo, 
you know, he's running around screaming, and he then jump, j- jumps into praising. The word here for praise means he starts singing praise songs. He's, he's hearing the song that's been praised. He's never sung it. There's nothing to, to praise for. Now this guy is praising. He is leaping. And here's what we know from the story, that everybody takes notice. Now, this is not Miracle Night of the Healing Crusade, where they march somebody who is in a wheelchair who didn't really need the wheelchair, and some guy lays hands on him, and he flips back, and some guy gets healed that nobody knew. This is a man who's been at the temple day after day after day, year after year after year. Everybody has seen him. Everybody knows he can't walk. Everybody who's been in the temple has watched people carry him in and watch his pathetic existence for decades. This guy is running and dancing and singing and leaping in the city and in the temple. And it's a glorious moment. Man, oh, to see that, right? Oh, to be there. Wouldn't it be cool to be at this moment? Chills going down your spine, excitement. Now, here's what we need to hear this morning. We read this story, and our, our answer is, man, if, if we could see that, if, if we could, like, if, if somebody would show up at our church, we would grab them by the hand and they would leap up walking. Here's what I want you to notice, okay? For three years, Jesus did this kind of miracle. And what we believe is if that would happen in our midst, if like if some miracle worker would come into town and this sort of thing would happen, what we would end up with is a whole bunch of people who believe in Jesus. No, we wouldn't. Jesus did this sort of miracle for three plus years, and there was a total of 120 people in the upper room. People are not going to believe in Jesus, the authentic Jesus, the saving Jesus, just because there are miracles among us. They need something more, as does this man. And there are clues and hints in the passage when they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, don't miss that. They're declaring, listen, this is not us. This was not our plan this morning. We're not making this up. I'm not coming here going, we're James and John. We're the next Avengers. We're superheroes. We have this power. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the name, oh, the name of Jesus. Oh, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, the name. When they come in the name of Jesus, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are looking at the helplessness and brokenness in the world, if you are struggling with how to address your neighbors, if you are literally saying, I, I feel like I'm being typecast, if you identify with that, you feel like everybody's marginalized to you because you believe in Jesus, if, if you are looking at all the brokenness in the world, listen, we are people who come in the name of Jesus and it is the most most important thing, it is the only thing our world needs, and it is what we have to offer. I should have got a little more, just a little harumph there. We have Jesus to offer a broken world. We have the same thing Peter and John have to offer this week. In the name of Jesus. Listen, what, what happens in the story is, is that the whole Old Testament promises us this person who would come, and he's going to be named Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to be named this. All these labels and names that Jesus has, uh, well over 100 different names in the Bible. But as we come forward, what we see is in the story, what takes place is 
that an angel comes to, to, to dad, Joseph, of a pregnant girl who is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the angel looks at Joseph and says, listen, this is from God. This is from the Holy Spirit. What, what she is, has conceived is the promise of old. And, and the, the angel says, listen, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen to what he says. The name Jesus means our God saves. We're gonna name this guy our God saves because this is God's hope. This is God's rescue. The name of Jesus. We were told in uh, um, Philippians chapter two, verses nine through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him, given him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to what Paul is declaring. He's saying the name of Jesus is the sweetest, most beautiful thing in all the universe. And here's the deal, that at the name of Jesus, it's the name above every name. It is the ultimate name. And eventually, one way or another, one way or another, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, you can do it now in faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or you could do it at the end of your life when you slip into eternity, but every single person on planet Earth out of their brokenness and shame will either trust in Jesus or will stand before Christ and declare, you are Lord. At the name of Jesus, every name, the name above every name, right? Yeah, that's right, clap, that's a good clapping point, right? We worship Jesus, and this Jesus in this moment through the hands of two people who are saying, it ain't us, it's him, we come in his name, it's not, not about us, they heal this man. And what happens is you read the story here in chapters three and four, believe it or not, and I will let you go do this on your own, everything else in the story has two figures that are important. And believe it or not, it's not Peter and John. They preach and they do other things. You have the man that creates a shadow over the temple because you had a man who was lame who is now dancing in the city and in the temple and praising God. This man casts a shadow and you have the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus going before them uh, and, and it just get, keeps getting repeated. They get arrested because they are proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ in, in Jesus' name. Peter uh, and John are arrested and brought before the religious leaders. Peter and John openly confessed that this man was healed because of Jesus' name. They are warned by the Sanhedrin, this Jewish religious council, ruling council. They say, listen, we're going to let you go free because they see the, the shadow of this healing. And they're like, if we do anything to these guys, the city's going to go nuts on us. So they let them go free, but they point at them and, and with clarity say, you can no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And they look at these men who warn them and boldly declare, listen, you do what you think, but we can only do what God has told us to do and what we've seen with our eyes and ears. We will preach the name. And then they go back and they pray at the end of chapter four, and they boldly pray for the power of God to accompany their ministry that is in, are you ready? Jesus' name. We offer the name of Jesus. Now listen, I, I gotta get to this. The name of Jesus is not some genie in a bottle mantra. 
I remember for a lot of times I would drive back and forth to downtown St. Louis and there was a big old billboard just, that just had the name of Jesus. And hear me, I'm not saying that was bad or wrong. It, it, it's beautiful, but somebody r- driving saying just the name of Jesus outside, oh, Jesus, hmm, that, that's not where this is going. It's not if I just say it magically. Or, or we pray in Jesus' name and sometimes we pray very selfish prayers and we, we, we throw a tagline on, like, if we throw Jesus' name into it, I'll get what I want. <laughs> or, or we end up with, you know, crazy, wild-haired people who know how to say Jesus' name. You know, you, you, you know who I'm talking about, right? In the name of Jesus! Just say it just right. You feel the power in Jesus' name. This is not what's going on here. But the name of Jesus is what we have to offer, and it is the solution to every problem. It is the hope for every person. It it is what heals this man, but it's more than healing. This man is authentically saved in this moment. There are clues in the text that this is more than just lame feet that are now dancing. It is a healed man who is now praising and trusting. And and we have this, so what does it mean to come in Jesus' name? What is Jesus' name all about? What is this? Well, it kind of comes with two ideas. When when we say we're doing ministry in Jesus' name, first of all, what Peter and John are declaring to this man and to the world, where they just keep repeating, we're doing this in Jesus' name, they are saying they are standing as Jesus' representatives. What has happened is that Christ, Jesus, came into the world, the perfect Son of God who gave his life for them and for us, died buried, was rose again, and that he ascended into heaven. But he ascended with the promise that they would be witnesses of Jesus. And as they are witnesses of Jesus, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now they are spirit-filled followers of Jesus. And they are standing saying, we're not here in our own power. We're not here declaring our own message. We're not here offering our own hope. We are here as human, visible representatives of Jesus Christ. We want his name to be known. We want his fame to go to the nations. We want his word to advance. We want to make much of Jesus. They are standing as Jesus representatives. And church, we leave here today, we go into our city, we go in Jesus' name. There's nothing that we do that can fail if we are doing it in the name of Christ. It may not go the way we think it was. It may not happen just like we prayed it would. But listen, Christ is accomplishing his mission. And you and I, follower of Jesus, we are the people who go in Jesus' name. Don't be afraid how the world sees you. You stand in this culture as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the highest calling you can have. But it also means that they are offering Jesus' person. They're standing as his representative, but this is what they're offering. They're offering Jesus, not just a name, but everything that he stands for. They're offering Jesus who is God, who became man. They're offering Jesus who lived the perfect life that is the fulfillment of God's commands and laws. They're offering Jesus who died on the cross as the substitute for our sin. They're offering Jesus who rose again on the third day, which is why we celebrate Easter. This is the week we pause and remember all that Jesus is, all that he did, and the fact that our hope is wrapped up wholly, solely in Jesus Christ, right? 
And when we offer Jesus, the name of Jesus, we are offering the hope that God, the God of heaven and earth has given to humanity. The only hope, we go in Jesus' name because we're his representatives, but we go in Jesus' name because we are offering Jesus. And that's the only thing we got. It's the only card we have in our deck, but it's the only thing that people need. I know it feels weird to talk about it. I struggle. Like, it's weird. I get up here in front of you and just preach Jesus. And in one-on-one conversations, I get nervous because I'm afraid if I say this to my neighbor, I say this to my friend, they're going to think I'm the weirdo. But as I walked through North St. Louis County, I just knew that the name of Jesus was the only hope. And as I hang out in Eureka, I realize that the name of Jesus is the only hope for our city. The name of Jesus the highest name. What do we have to offer? We have Jesus to offer. But in this healing story, there are clues to what that means. There's some some really beautiful things that as, as Peter and John are now living with the life of Christ, serving as his representatives and offering Jesus as the only hope, we can see what we actually have to offer in this world, okay? Which is everything. It's everything. Notice a couple things. First of all, what we have to offer in Jesus' name, we have to offer purposeful humanity. We have, to, we have the offer of really what it means to be human to people who are searching in the world for the meaning of that. So, so here's what happens. Back to the story. Here's Peter and John. They come, but you have this man who's been brought over and over and over again. He's this homeless, hurting, crippled uh, can't walk, is helpless, is totally dependent on others, has lost any sense of self and any sense of identity. You, you have to feel the weight of what this man is going through and what his identity has to be built on and based on. And, and you and I do it. Come on, let's be honest. We do all we can to keep our eyes from getting locked on their eyes. If you're going to throw a few bucks in, you look at the bucket and you throw your money in. And if you're not, you create the blinder so you don't even have to see them. There is a sense in which the way we deal with these people in the world is is by doing all we can to deal with their need but not deal with their humanity. And in the midst of this, there is this sweet, beautiful reminder in the text that he matters to God. This man is an image bearer of God, that God created him for purpose and his identity will not be fully realized until he understands who he is in creation and what God meant him to be. And so what happens in the story? It's beautiful. You, you, you got to see this again. Look again here at verses uh, three through five. So Peter and John are walking through verse three. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he has to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze on him as did John and said, look at us, and he fixes attention on him. Now, what we have is four different words that are used in one text to talk about looking towards something or someone else. We, we have the man, first of all, just, he sees him. Among a mass, he sees Peter and John. And he's probably in seeing them going, hey, hey, buddy, help me out. Hey, I got the sign. Check out the sign. I, I, I got the, I got the little, little bucket here. Will you throw some dollars in the bucket? Will you help me out? Will you give me some money to help me out? And he's doing this to person after person after person. And all these people walking by him are doing exactly what we do, which is don't look at the guy. Look at, look at the bucket, throw money in, or, or, or get away from him. Don't look at the dude. Don't get 
stuck because then you're going to have to really deal with it. It's probably going to tell me a story. It's probably going to get me into some conversation. He's going to, he, man, these people are really good at making me feel guilty. I don't want to feel guilty today because I've got to go worship Jesus. Get that? And he looks at them, and then here's what happens in the original text. It says that Peter and John, and our text says gazed, they fixed their eyes intentionally and looked the man in the eye and in love looked at him as a human being, as an image bearer. They fixed their, they paused and they looked at him and they didn't see a cripple. They didn't see an identity that was built on his shame. They saw him. They saw him. This happens so many times in the ministry of Jesus. So many times where Jesus, everybody else is passing by somebody and Jesus pauses and comes back and sees the individual. In John chapter 4, he sees a woman at the well and he pauses, goes out of his way and speaks to a woman who had multiple husbands who've been used as a piece of meat and discarded so many times and Jesus pauses and sees her. And here's Peter and John looking at the man, seeing him individually, acknowledging him as an image bearer, stepping into the space and, and, and just seeing him and look like by doing this, acknowledging that his identity and his humanity are real. We're in a weird moment in culture where part of the reason we're being typecast is because the whole world is saying, I get to build my own identity. And so here's what's going on. This, this is just all around us. We feel the weight of it. Our kids hear it all the time. It's the Disney message. It's the message that shows up in all kinds of stuff here. We're told that you are whoever you tell yourself you are. You are whoever you create yourself to be. And so we begin to think that my value and worth is becoming whatever I think my identity is, finding my identity and pursuing it. At the same time, there is a, another message in our culture that says you're just random, you're part of an evolutionary process, that you have no value, worth, and meaning. And so what this done coupled together is it has created a whole culture of people who believe that I create my own worth, I create my own, own meaning, but the outcome of all of this in our world is that there is higher depression, higher suicide rates, that our schools are filled with kids who are lost and can't find their way. They're screaming at God for making them like they are or, or trying to figure out what that looks like. And in the midst of this, we don't know what to do with this. And, and we have to begin where Peter and John begin with. We have to come back to, to, to removing all the other identity markers they create for themselves and begin to see people as authentic image bearers of God and look at them of seeing them and loving them anyway, of pausing and telling them over and over again that here's what Jesus does. Jesus will give you your true identity. 
in a world that says, I'm going to create my own identity, the world, we're just going to keep hearing over and over again that creating my own, my own identity does not work. And we go into this world as representatives of Jesus. We can tell them that, listen, I can offer you the name of Jesus. Why does that matter? Because the name of Jesus is the only place where people will find their own identity. And so Peter and John in the story, they look at the man and he said, that they gaze, they fix their gaze on him. They look at the man and say, get your attention off your for a minute and look at us. I have something better for you. Like the song. I didn't even know the song until I was over here weeping and crying over it. I have something better than the identity you've created for yourself, which in this case is I am lame. I am a cripple. I am nothing. We are all searching for purpose. And it is a search that will not make sense until we find the beauty of Christ, until we find the identity of Jesus, until we see Jesus in our lives. And so, so Augustine said this, listen, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. We're in a world where their hearts are restless. They don't know why. They think their hearts are restless is because they're not being true to themselves. Their, heart, their hearts are restless because they were made to know Christ. And we have Jesus to offer them. Second thing we see in the story is, is uh, uh, we see healing for what ails us. Not only do we see the beauty of our humanity being affirmed and, and, and the hopefulness of our humanity being revealed, but we see healing that ails us. And so we, what we have here is this, this crazy healing miracle story. And, and the question we have to ask is, is this something that, that we're going to do over and over again? Is this something that we're going to see ongoing through all of eternity? Here's the thing I will tell you, okay? I'm, I'm going to hit the answer really quick here in just a minute. But every week I make a family worship sheet, which is a, it's designed to give some notes on the sermon, to give maybe some Bible, like we put a Bible reading plan on it. We put a family worship that is part of the sheet every week, and we make these available both online on our blog through our online community. It's called Koinonia. So if you're part of Koinonia, it's going to show up here right at noon for you in your inbox. You can click up that, go find it. We put a couple of the hard sheets out here. We do this every week. If you're not aware, there's, a, there's a, something that you can add to your rhythm of, of sermon study and Bible study and all that kind of stuff, okay? This week, instead of telling you, like echoing some thoughts in the sermon, I spent the whole sheet explaining why miracles happen in the Bible and why we shouldn't necessarily expect this to be something that happens over and over again. Uh, they walk and they pick up the man and say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Ultimately, there's three real re big reasons in the Bible why God does healing miracles. One is for his glory. The second is just because he loves people. Those things can still go on today and we should pray for them. But the big reason is because there are times where God sends these miracles to authenticate the messenger. Okay? And in this case, the whole point of the healing is to let everybody in the temple know that these people are there in the name of Jesus with his very word in their mouth, okay? Now, we don't need that anymore because we have the Bible. There's a simple version of this explanation. Therefore, we should not start healing miracle nights. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called The Dream Team. 
Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's worth it. It's an old 80s movie with uh, uh, several great actors, including Michael Keaton. But Peter Boyle, who was the dad on Everybody Loves Raymond, is in this movie. And they're all, these are guys who all have mental health issues. And it's a whole story about these guys who are actually in a mental institution going on a field trip. And they get loose. They end up getting loose in New York City, and they don't know what to do. But Peter Boyle's character is hilarious because he has this Jesus complex. He believes that he is the Messiah right? And so he's kind of walking all through the thing, uh, doing, has some crazy moments, but there's this moment where he is walking through this hospital with his, through three other friends. They're walking through this hospital, and there's this guy who's laying on a gurney on a, on a hospital bed in the hallway who's just laying there. And Peter Boyle just walks by and lays his hands on him and says, be healed, my son. Get up and walk. And then he just keeps walking, and the camera shot has these four guys walking towards the camera. So they're walking away from this man who then after having this be healed and walk, the man sits up, leans over on the side of bed, puts his feet down, and promptly falls flat on his face. And I watch that and I go, man, unless the spirit does something crazy in me, I am never going to look at somebody and say, get up and walk, my son, because if that happens, it's going to be awkward, Right? This is a moment in the story, but what they offer the man is real. And the picture, just like Jesus' healing, is that the most important healing the man needs is not in his ankles and his feet. The most important healing the man needs is in his soul, in, in his humanity. And what really breaks us, what really leaves us broken is our sinfulness. But you need to hear this. This is one of the things people will say, you know, Christianity is no longer helpful. It's not really doing any, anything in our culture. But listen, I have an easy answer for you. If anybody stands up and goes, Christianity is just repressive and it's, it's hurtful and it doesn't do anything good for our, our culture and our country. Just ask them this question. What is the name of every single hospital with one exception in St. Louis? St. something or Missouri Baptist. That's what you got, right? Who started it? People who went in the name of Jesus, who saw the healing ministry of Jesus and said, I can't lay hands on you and say, get up and walk, but I'm going to give my life to the healing of people. That's us. It, it is believers in Jesus who are downtown St. Louis opening uh, uh, homeless shelters and caring for the people we're talking about. It's not just random people. It's definitely not not. People who are secular and atheists who are going to these spaces. It is Christians who have gone to the hard places in the world to care for brokenness. Well, the AIDS crisis was going on. It was Christians who showed up in Africa to care for the families who had AIDS. Listen, we have always gone in the name of Jesus for the healing of people. Don't be afraid of these, these arguments that we have. But in the midst of this, even there... We offer the name of Jesus where we can say to people, even if you were not healed physically, even if you do not get up and walk, even if, if you die from your disease, the hope of the gospel is the promise of eventual eternal healing. You will walk again. Guess what? This man who was healed, he's in a grave now. He ain't going to stay there. He will leap and dance and walk again, but this healing is temporary. In a moment, what happened in his soul, the healing of his heart, the brokenness of his sinfulness has left him with something better. He, uh, we offer, listen, our neighbors and friends and family members are hurting and they are broken even when they don't know it. They have a sickness that is called sin that ails them. 
and, and we offer Jesus, who is healing to the nations. We also offer Jesus, who is also access for the marginalized. There's something that's really subtle in the, in the text here. Look at verse 8. It says, Leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping. Now here's what's going on. This is Luke just being real subtle, and you've got to know some Old Testament story and Old Testament history. But here's what's going on. The Old Testament law was clear that people with physical deformities like this who were lame, and he's lame from birth, could not go into the temple. He, he is excluded because of his sickness, because of his birth condition. He was excluded in Israel from the presence of God. We, because of our sin, are separated from God. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, Isaiah says, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Here's what God did with with the the Old Testament story and the reason for this. He is painting a picture of the fact that the, the residue of the fall and the brokenness of sin leaves us outside of God's presence. Oh, but the name of Jesus, Peter and John grab him by the hand and they walk him in. They walk him into the presence of God. This is what our neighbors need the most. They are separated from God. They live in a broken situation because of that. The core problem is not their sickness. The core problem in our world is the separation from the God who loves us and created us. We go in the name of Jesus. We are offering Jesus, who is the presence of God, who is access to the Father. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that he has reconciled us with God through the, 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 the blood of Christ and therefore being reconciled with God. We have peace with God. Peter and John grabbed this guy's hand and now he's leaping and dancing into a place he's never been in his life. He walks through the court of the Gentiles into the court of of the women, past the court of the women and ends up in the inner court, the place of the temple, the place where they are experiencing the beauty of the presence of God together. Something he's never done before. That's what we offer. That's why we challenge you that this week you need to be considering what it looks like to invite your friends because this is what we have to offer. Last, last thing we f- see in this beautiful story, the name of Jesus, we have joy from our hardship. I mean, look, just look at the number of times we see leap, walk, praise repeated over and over again. It's, there is a sense in which the way the text happens is that you see this echoing of these words that repeat. First we see looking. He looked at them, they looked at him. He says, look at us, and then he fixes his gaze on them, and then he's healed. And now we see him walking, and then he's leaping, and and, and the pictures, he's getting up, and you know, you you can just picture, like, picture this moment, he's, these guys yanked me by my hands, and I haven't ever stood. I'm over 40 years old, and I've never stood. My back has been in one position all my life, and now I'm, I'm starting to feel blood flowing, Next thing I know, I'm walking, and next thing, and people are watching this going, what in the world is going on? They say, he's dancing through the middle, he's leaping and singing, and all of a sudden a song goes to his heart, comes to his heart, and he's praising the Lord, and, and there's this beautiful moment of joy out of the, the worst hardship, the worst broken, the worst suffering, there is joy. 
the rest of the next two chapters then, this man's praise casts a shadow on the whole story. Because no matter what these people who are skeptics, what these people who are, are haters, what these people who are trying to typecast the apostles are, can do, no matter what they can do, there's a guy over in the corner who was yesterday sitting outside the gate who couldn't walk, who's leaping and dancing and praising. They can't do anything about that. Listen, our praise from hardship is a beautiful message to a world who may reject, may reject the things that we believe. But when you see people who walk through cancer praising, when you see people who have lost a loved one lifting their voices to heaven, when you see people who've gone through the worst suffering, when you see Ukrainian believers who stand together singing in a subway station, when you see the beauty of, of people who are dying for their faith and as they are dying on stakes where they are being burned, they are singing praises to God. It is harrowing to the world. But in the midst of this, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, Christ may heal you in present. He may choose to heal you in the future. But no matter what it is, wherever you are at, whatever ails you, whatever you are struggling, here is the offer I have for you today. There is joy in the journey. Because you've found Christ in Jesus that his suffering on the cross is the redemption for anything you're going through, and there is joy, right? And so here we go. Here we are this week. It's Holy Week, right? It's Holy Week. And we're like, I don't know what to do. I, I know I should invite my friends, but I'm afraid because I think they will look weird at me and they will look down at me. Listen, they are outside of Christ. They don't know their true humanity. They are excluded from fellowship of God because of their sin. They are hurting and broken and they are sick uh, and dying because of the disease of sin, and they are lacking joy in their lives. And in the midst of this, the, Peter and John look at this man, and they say this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. We may not heal them physically, but we have the name. We have the name today, right? We offer Jesus. And that is not a small thing. That is everything. It is the name of Jesus is everything. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm offering you Jesus. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today can be your day where you find Christ. Trust in him. We'll have people over here at the corner at the end of the service who will be ready to pray with you, who would love to have a conversation with you. Come, have a dialogue with them. Pray with them. Figure out what it means to trust Jesus. But for the rest of this, here's the challenge. Easter Sunday is the most likely uh, single week that people would go check a church out. And next Sunday, guess what we're going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to preach Jesus. Thank you. We're going to offer people Jesus. 
We have all kinds of ways for you to do this. If you're a social media person, we've posted on Koinonia uh, different images of different pictures where you can put it on Twitter, you can put it on Facebook, you can text them to your friends. I've, I've resubmitted this, so you should have already gotten the email if you're on Koinonia. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know what Koinonia is, but I'd like to do that, just talk to me. I will make sure I get those to you there as well. Koinonia is our online community. We have invite cards. If you're more the person where you'd like to bake cookies and take something tangible, we have little cards that you can take. But, but our idea, we're also sharing out on our Facebook and Twitter. You can retweet and share. Find ways just to reach out to your neighbors and your friends and, and, and tell them about our service because if you invite them to service, you are offering them the name of Jesus. Let's do that this week, okay? Let's offer them what, what ails, the, the healing for what ails them. And, and let's, let's band together to see our neighbors, like just to become passionate about seeing our neighbors and friends come to Jesus Christ, all right? Now, part of what we do as a church, as I, as I close this morning, is, is that part of what we are passionate about is sharing Jesus in our city and then realizing that the other way we offer Jesus is by planting churches, being involved in planting churches, going to a neighborhood, seeing a, a new gospel witness, a community of faith rise out of that, Christ proclaimed in a, in a neighborhood or in a city or in a nation. And so we're super passionate about that. And during the Easter season, we do this offering. We want to challenge you. This is another way you can participate in the spread of the gospel, of seeing acts continue, is by participating by, by, by our generosity. And so we take up an offering during our Easter season that is for um, our church planting partners and a couple of our domestic church plants. So this offering goes to our partners that are here in the United States and in North America, okay? And so pray about how you can give to that. One of, one of the organizations we are going to support with this offering is called the Sin Church Planting Network. It's part of an organization called Great Commission Baptist, which we partner with them as well. And they do an offering at this time of year that is for their North American church planting efforts, okay? Um, now, we're going to show you a video, and there's a name that's thrown out. The name is Annie Armstrong. This organization calls their Easter offering the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And here's the basic gist. This was a lady who lived over 100 years ago, who said, we have to reach the nations. She started giving herself and started organizing churches and groups of churches to give towards church planting and missions in the United States. And so the, the, as they collect the offering, they name it after this lady. But we want to show you a video. After I pray here in just a second, we're going to show you a video that reminds you of or shows you some of the things that are going on and how our giving through this offering can be part of planting churches all over. And you're going to see my, our good friends, Michael and Tracy Bird, in this video. African-American man and woman in the video. This, the man and woman in this video is where we are going on Friday to serve. Our church is helping plant. Literally, we are a direct partner with one of the churches you will see in the video, and we are going to go Friday and serve them. So if you can be a part of that, you'll hear more about that in announcements. But I'm going to pray now, check out the video, and then we're going to sing and celebrate to Jesus. We're going to give back to him uh, because we love Jesus, and we're going we're to join the, the, the voice of this man, all right? We're going to leap and sing and, and praise because Jesus is sufficient. His name is good, right? Lord, we praise you this morning. Thank you for the name of Jesus. Help us find in your name all that we need and give us joy in the journey of it. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. Your name I pray. Amen.